Welcome to the Life as an Observer podcast. My name is Ryan Bean. I am your host in self-observation. This podcast is an exploration of physical and non-physical self through discussion around yoga, meditation, self-improvement, self-realization, and practices that elevate the mind-body-soul connection. Let's start observing. This episode of Life as an Observer is made possible by patron support. If you'd like to support this program, you can visit patron.podbean.com backslash life as an observer to learn more. Welcome to the Life as an Observer podcast. I'm excited to chat with you today. I have uh, kind of something that's been on my mind. I want to start today's podcast uh, with just a quote from our friend Terrence McKenna. He said, psychedelics are illegal not because of loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally lay down models of behavior and information processing. They open you up to the possibility that everything you know is wrong. So this is kind of what I want to talk about today. But first, let me kind of get through some uh, just some things that are happening in my world that you may be interested in. So yes, today we're going to talk about psychedelics. We're going to talk about ketamine. We're going to talk about psilocybin. We're going to talk about MDMA. And we'll just see where the conversation leads. It may go to some other areas. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some things that are happening in the world of life as an observer and maybe some things you might want to get involved in. So starting... Uh, well, I guess we've already been doing it for about a year, but we've been starting to do group ketamine breathwork sessions. So this is something that we hold the trademark on for ketamine breathwork. Really exciting that we're utilizing um, this oral version of ketamine. And again, we're going to talk about ketamine today in the in the, the body of the podcast. But if you've been interested or you're starting to think about, well, how and why and where and how do I do that? Well, Right now we're we're traveling all over, but you know the clinic, our clinic is in is in Utah, so we're doing groups that are in uh, Salt Lake, St. George, and in Las Vegas. So I just want to tell you about some of those events, and it may be something that you're interested in doing. So we do have a, a Salt Lake City group that is scheduled up at um, Great Salt Lake Wellness, and it is in uh, Davis County, up in uh, Bountiful. We're doing that uh, Saturday, January the 21st. So that's something you're interested in. Um, I think we have a 3 p.m. session, and you're welcome to come join that. To uh, When I talk about all these sessions, uh, to book them, you just need to go to stgeorgeketamine.com, book your consultation. They'll get you uh, the prescription sent, or you can pick it up uh, maybe at a local pharmacy that you're uh, aware of, um, or we just have it mailed to you. And then you can join the sessions. So we have that one starting on January the 21st. Um, in addition to that, we've just started working with our friends at True North Float, and we're offering floating and then ketamine breath work. So we're doing those usually um, on Fridays. Um, you can do those whenever you'd like, but you just kind of contact our friends at truenorthfloat.com, and they will set you up for their next available date. Um, it's myself guiding some of them, and also we have a whole team of people who have been now been trained in this particular protocol um, that I created to be able to facilitate and administer this medicine to you. So if that's something you're interested in that's coming up, um, 
I also have uh, several retreats. One that I'd like to chat about is in April. So I'm doing this one called uh, Inspire Fest. You shall see that in the show notes. Um, Inspire Fest is with my friend Jesse Coomer. And we're doing that in southern Utah at Homestead Ranch. Uh, Inspire Fest is a language of breath retreat, meaning the, the I'm a co-host or I'm sorry, a co-founder of, of, of language of breath. And it is a kind of a, a breath that we've uh, refined to make it accessible, to really kind of create more awareness and to be kind of... I would like to say that it's a gentler approach to regulating the nervous system. I've just seen a lot of really bad breath work out there and uh, people that think you have to be crying and you have to be, you know, totally traumatized to have good breath work. And at Language of Breath, we don't believe that. I think that we can create exactly what you need uh, neurologically and nervous system-wise without creating that trauma within you. So anyway, we're doing that here at Homestead. Um, there is a, a link down below. It's an Eventbrite link. And it is um, uh, April 28th. Jesse and I are doing that, and we're just calling it Inspire Fest, which I think is kind of an appropriate and kind of cool name because we're there to inspire, like by breathing, but also inspire meaning, you know, maybe you find something really amazing for your year and get inspired. So the other uh, events that are happening, we told you we're doing a Las Vegas. Uh, we're actually doing it in Henderson at a place called Mystic Dreams, and I'll leave the links down below for this. But we're doing a ketamine breathwork uh, February the 12th. And I'm also doing one in southern Utah with our friends at Flanagan's Resort in Springdale. Now, if you're not familiar with Springdale, it is where it's the gate of Zion National Park. So you're right there at Zion National Park, and it can be an overnighter. I say can be. It's not required, but you can come, come ahead of time and stay overnight at Flanagan's. Now, those who may be traveling from out of state or out of country, you can come early, get your consultation, probably get your consultation, and and then go to you know Zion National Park, and you could you do this, but you need to you need to call us soon. Uh, we would kind of advise you how to come into town, get your consultation, get your prescription, and then come to the event on February the 18th at Flanagan's. Um, in addition to that, I've been doing monthly free integration calls. I'll put the link in the description, but free integration, regardless of what medicine you have taken, um, regardless of the ceremony or the healer or the shaman that's led you in it, but I'm offering free online Zoom integration, just some coaching to help you with that new information that you've received through your download, through your inspiration, through your feelings. And the next one is February the 24th. That's a Friday. And it's just a one hour long call. Um, I do these, um, you know, by appointment, if you want to do a one-on-one -on -one integration, happy to do that. But this is a group integration and it'll be on, um, on Zoom. So it's enough with the announcements, I suppose. There's a lot of other things happening here within the state, but I want to jump right in to the body of what we're going to chat about today. And it is about psychedelics open you up to the possibility that everything you know is wrong. Now, I guess we have to do some history, right? We have to go back a ways to where there was a, a beginning of a psychedelic renaissance, right? Where we had some options that were starting. You know, we had from Albert Hoffman in his days at uh, Santos and, you know, creating LSD-20 and, you know, his famous bicycle day and I mean, you know, we can do that in another podcast, but essentially really came upon something pretty magical. He felt it was magical and knew that it was something about it. But again, it took years to really get into testing it and to, to really doing anything with it 
um, at least as it relates to mental health. Now, there were some other leaders in that. Um, I would say definitely Terrence McKenna was one of them. Um, uh, Timothy Leary and uh, Richard Alpert um, at Harvard with their studies, especially their Good uh, Friday experiments that had to do and stuff they were working with it was psilocybin and creating these what they would call biblical or mystical experiences and you know asking those who were very biblical and mystical about them and finding that yes indeed this was a biblical and mystical uh, experience and it's I think it was fine and dandy and things were going well including with the works that that Stanloff Graf was doing in, in Maryland and and then something happened. Something happened, and, you know, I don't want to point fingers necessarily. It's not because I don't know. It's just because I, I don't really know that there was one specific event that caused um, our, our President Richard Nixon to, to essentially announce a war on drugs. And then that was carried over by our uh, President uh, Ronald Reagan saying, just say no, and this, this war on drugs continued from the late 70s into the 80s. Uh, some people believe that it was the rogue personality of Timothy Leary. Some people believe it was the acid tests and the Grateful Dead that, that caused it to become a more of a party rather than a therapeutic or a clinical tool. There's so many po- fingers we can point. Uh, really, I think uh, I'll share my personal opinion. I think a lot of it had to do with fear. I don't know that it was one particular event. I think that it was they might open up. They might learn that everything they've been taught is wrong. They might learn that history is wrong. They may, and so in a in a place of fear, the government acted and really made some of these medicines, plants, and fungi uh, schedule one substances. And I, it, when we look at it in a, in, a, in a very clever way, when we say, really, that's a schedule one. It grows in the ground. Um, it's in the same criteria as some really other really harsh chemicals. And, you know, for the most part, many of these psychedelics are from plants. Many. Not all, but many of them are. And they have some psychoactive properties that tend to connect us or tend to disconnect us completely to where we can see things more clearly. So ketamine in one is a disassociative, and it really... Um, disconnects us so that we can step away from what our emotions and our feelings are and really see things a little bit more clearly where others connect us to the world and realize how important we are. Some are good for um, depression or anxiety and lots of stresses. Some are really just good for us self-exploring and others really, really good for PTSD. And whether you're, you know, have any of these afflictions or you know somebody who does or you're just wanting to get to know who you really are, maybe what your purpose in this life is psychedelics may be an option for you under the right set and setting now let me talk about set and setting first so set really means mindset and mindset means if you're going into it saying i just want to get real high and disconnect you're not going to get much out of this okay the set is hopefully something you prepare way ahead of time for. Hey, I've been called to this. I'm preparing. I'm doing things like meditation and I'm preparing myself to learn more about myself and go beyond what Ram Dass would call channel one, just a physical being, your personality. Go beyond channel one, get maybe into the areas of the mental, but go way beyond 
and maybe even go to channel five. And this is like, well, we transcend and we believe that, you know, nothing really matters. But even channel four is saying that we're all connected and um, we're the same. And if you're kind of exploring that as an option, you may find that psychedelics can help you get there. But we have to say which ones because they're not all the same. And I hear this a lot, especially in the so-called healer uh, uh, world, um, that I laugh because so many people call themselves healers. And I think that I always go back to the Young Pueblo quote about how we true power is knowing that we are our own healers, our own leaders, and our own heroes. So it kind of makes me laugh because we're simply guides to you being your own hero. But all psychedelics are not made equal. So I'm going to talk about, uh, kind of just touch on a few of them. Maybe we'll we'll end up going deeper. There's so many that we can explore. I don't think I'm going to really get into 5-MeO today um, and a couple of things like Abogain and whatnot. But there, there's, there's a lot of them. It doesn't mean that they're not valuable. They certainly are. Um but just for sake for sake of the time on this podcast, I'm going to talk about the ones that I find currently are in my experience and that I can talk openly and very educated about. Now, first of all, let's just talk about psilocybin. Psilocybin, magic mushrooms, whatever you like to call them. There are nearly 200 species of mushrooms that are naturally occurring that, that can offer a psychoactive experience. So it's really the psilocin that's in the psilocybin, how our body converts it. Um, and there are all kinds of studies that have happened. I'll talk about a little bit of them, but uh, a little bit, but these are part of the um, endodolamines family, which includes like LSD and DMT. And it crosses the bl- uh, brain blood uh, barrier and kind of uh, advocates the serotonin and it upticks in the 5-HT2A receptor, okay? So essentially, you're going to get a lot of serotonin. That's some people, when they eat uh, mushrooms, I can tell you, they kind of may have a a sore jaw because they're kind of grinding their teeth, not necessarily grinding, but just kind of clenching, and that we believe that to be sort of from the, the serotonin. There's a lot of joy, a lot of laughter. Visualizations are certainly present depending on the dose, and this strain. And there are trials that are happening all over through John Hopkins, through I know the University of Utah, through MAPS and so forth for depression, PTSD, OCD, Alzheimer's. Um, the list goes on. I think even Parkinson's. Uh, there's a whole, a whole list of them. I remember I was reading a um, uh, article about the London Imperial College doing something that it showed the effects can even match that of some SSRIs. So if you're on an antidepressant or an anxiety medication, that psilocybin may be able to match that. And what this is important because, well, psilocybin can maybe just be a one-time macro dose and feel pretty darn good um, for maybe even up to a year. Maybe a micro dose where you have it on a protocol of, you know, maybe the, the Stamets protocol where you have a couple days on, a couple days off might be a good match for you. Or an SSRI, which is kind of a life sentence. You're on it for your entire life. This reuptake inhibitor kind of traps that molecule of serotonin, so you're getting a little bit more of it. And that's great and all, but if we go off of it, it really messes your hormones up and and could potentially um, cause some serious damage uh, mentally, physically. So you can't really come off SSRIs uh, quick. You have to wean them. 
And there are protocols out there for that, especially if you are adding other um, chemicals that uh, work on that 5-HT2A receptor. Um, there are some of those. And so you want a good guide, someone who can understand that and they can say, hey, this is what I'm seeing, this is what I'm feeling. Again, we're not here to replace your doctor as guides, but you know, if that's something you're wanting to get off of, there are options for you and I advise you to talk to your doctor and, um, and find a good guide. I guess it should be part of this um, podcast is how to get a good guide, right? Um, I'll get to that at the very end. Um, so again, these grow all over. You can buy the spores online for medical uh, research purposes. There are a few states that are um, offering um, decriminalization and legalizing it very soon, especially as it becomes FDA approved. I think we'll see more and more of those. Um, there are some, including the state which I live in, um, organizations uh, like the Divine Assembly, which is a, a church which offers uh, ceremonial uh, ceremonies through its members, not through itself, but offers it as a church of mushrooms, and we can offer sacrament to our members and it's usually done in a it has to be done in a safe setting it has to be done in a ceremony and it has to be done in that fashion and offered a sacrament to be able to do so so none of this is recreational i think i need to emphasize that that none of this is recreational because you can get mushrooms or you can use them to help with a mental health um, condition doesn't mean that you should be taking this and then going to a, a festival with them because that's not the setting that you would want. The mindset might be there, but the setting is not conducive to that. So it all kind of all goes back to the set and setting. And that's really going to be true for all of these chemicals that I talk about today. Uh, whereas mushrooms may be really good, it's very associative. So you're going to feel everything, including maybe the earth breathing and the trees whistling. And, you know, there's, there's a lot that can come from a really good facilitated mushroom ceremony. And you know, many of these ceremonies that came into the uh, Maria Sabina is uh, kind of responsible, I think, for that. Bless her for doing that. But bringing uh, Westerners into that tradition as they would visit her in Mexico and teaching her, teaching them the, the sacredness of this medicine more than just how great it, it feels or the cool colors that you can see. Because it's not really about that. Sure, some of that comes, and maybe that has to do with the connectivity to the universe and the flow and the ebb and flows of everything and it being interconnected and woven. But really, a lot of this, um, we don't know how it works. We don't, we don't know. I think that there are some, some hypotheses, but sometimes the medicine, because it is from nature, just knows what we need. Many would even say that um, the, the ayahuasca um, recipe came from nature itself and that it was the medicine itself or the, the nature the tree the vine itself who said mix me with this and that's where I'll become potent so so psilocybin now lots of trials out there LSD or lysergic acid um, I don't know which came first or not but derived from ergot which is also a mushroom in 1938 uh, that's when Albert Hoffman did that the 5-HT2A receptor, again, it's a low toxicity, um, does not provoke addictions or withdrawals, really pretty darn safe. And that's why it was used 
um, in some of the early trials with Stanlof Groff, with um, with Timothy Leary, with uh, Ram Das, lots of work was done around it because there was it was relatively relatively safe, meaning in high dosages in its pure form safe. I think where the, this is me interjecting my opinion, but where the regulation came in is when we started to not have it in ceremony settings, when it became less clinical and people were drinking it out of punch bowls and they were in a bad setting and bad mindset probably. They're saying, I just need to do something uh, and they're going into it with a bad setting or a bad mindset and a bad setting and creating what we call a bad trip. Bad trips happen two ways. One is going into it and you have fear and you don't know what's going on and you're not being guided and coming out where you're saying, I'm connected to the whole universe here. I don't want to return back to that crappy physical body life. Both of them can be prevented with a proper guide. A proper guide can lead you to a better session and potentially removing the bad trip. There's, there's so many instances of, of propaganda that happened specifically around LSD, um, how it would make you jump out of a building and make you crazy. And there was all kinds of nut, nutty things that were being put out to the world in propaganda. And frankly, uh, it, it was lies. We, we know them as being lies because now we're testing these things and seeing, no, actually, it's quite therapeutic. And it was a fear-based reaction around them. So... I'm leaving ketamine for last, by the way. If you're looking for that, just because that's what I'm most familiar with and that's what I work in at my clinic here in, in Southern Utah's Tory Health and Wellness. But I want to talk a little bit about MDMA. Okay, so this was, um, I'm saying this right, but it's an endotogen, endotogen, <laughs> endotogen. Anyway, basically means touching within. Okay, that's what kind of medicine that it is. Uh, we learned about this in 1912. Now, this, you know, it went by its street name Ecstasy for a long time, and people were, again, bad, set and setting. But for the most part, there's been a lot of good, uh, <laughs> a lot of good street cred on, on MDMA. This is not a hallucinatory type psychedelic. It is not that at all. It um, <clears throat> can mimic LSD and this uh, psilocybin's effects of depersonalization and this altered perception. Um this reuptake of serotonin and dopamines and oxytocin also happens, and um, MAPS is doing a lot of work around this. Um, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies is doing a lot of work around PTSD testing, and I know that they're finding other ways to push this along, and it's in its final stages of clinical trials. Um, uh, maybe even early this year where we'll be able to see it in clinics used as a clinician tool, and I'm really excited about that, but it's really been used for... I mean, a really long time. Um, and we're just now saying, hey, maybe this can help. And I'm going to kind of input a little bit of thing about ketamine here. But MDMA may actually be the better tool for PTSD, whereas ketamine may be the better tool for suicide ideation, depression, and anxiety. MDMA may be the better tool for PTSD and relationship therapies because um, of that being the, that it's labeled as an endotogen, um, touching within, it's saying it's sort of like this heartwarming connectedness to the world, um, connectedness to others. And, I mean, it's been around since 1912. Lots of work's been done around it. And yet now, it, you know, now we're just bringing it back from, you know, its its prohibitions and, and regulation states. So 
That's something I'm really looking forward to working with in our clinic and kind of being more connected to it. Now, DMT. Um, DMT can be farm, found in Chacuna and Ayahuasca and all the different areas. It's been used for thousands of years in Central and South America. It's found in plants, humans. They call it the, the spirit molecule. Again, it works on the same receptor, the, the 5-HT2A receptors. This one tends to be a pretty heavy lifter, though. DMT, some people really find it quite powerful, whether you smoke it, um, whether you're um, having it in the drink, you know, with ayahuasca. Um, but it tends to be quite a heavy lifter, kind of opening up realms of consciousness that we don't always have access to. And I can tell you from my own experiences, sometimes on a lower dose, it's just fractals and, um, you know, pretty lights. You feel kind of connected to other worldly things. Um, some people see spirit bodies, light bodies, alien bodies. Some people see spirit animals and they're connected to the, the shadow sides of themselves and beyond, connected to nature. Um, what, the reason why I believe bring DMT into this list is because a lot of people <clears throat> have said to me, should I take an ayahuasca journey? Should I pack up and move to Peru and, you know, whatever, go to there for the, the weekend or the week and do this or go down to <clears throat> South America somewhere or Mexico and to do this? And my immediate answer is, why? What are you looking for? What are you ex hoping to experience? Because, again, it's about set and setting. So if you're going down there, you're hoping that you're just going to find this inspiration that's going to change your life and repair your marriage and fix your job and fix your finances and help you connect to your, you know, your family more. And you're just expecting this spirit molecule to do that. You're going to be in a bad mindset and it's not worth driving, not worth flying thousands of miles for sitting in a tent to throw up to have a, an experience because you're forcing it. It doesn't mean that it couldn't be, it could be a great experience, but I would say, if you were asking me for advice, I would say give yourself lots of time to arrive and lots of time to leave. And what I've noticed, especially in a lot of these commercial um, psychedelic retreats, is there's no integration. It's like, thanks for coming to my show, goodbye. And that's because it's, you know, just it's very indigenous. It's very native to the people, and, and there's not an integration piece of that. Now, there are some out there that do. So those who are saying, oh, I've had an integration when I went to this particular one. Well, yeah, they are out there. But that's not for not in every one. And integration, I think, is the key piece to any good psychedelic ceremony. Now, if you've never done integration or you're wondering what that word is, it's really just taking what we've learned and saying, now what? How do I apply whether I've undercovered trauma, whether I'm adapting to knowing that I'm connected to everything and that I'm, you know, God myself, how do I incorporate that into my daily life to where I don't need the medicine anymore to help me feel good, that I can utilize tools and I can have groups and community to help support me in that. And that's why I offer the integration group. So I, like I said at the beginning, on February the 24th, we have that one. And um, whether you've experienced a, a ceremony with psilocybin, with LSD, with MDMA, with DMT, or 5-MeO, or whatever other chemicals you've experienced with Abogaine, and you're looking for integration, you can come to these groups for free on Zoom, or you can contact me directly. I'll put it in the, the show notes there, but you know, through my through my Instagram, Ryan Bean Yoga. And we can coordinate maybe even one-on-ones if you prefer to do those. So 
And I'm going to move directly onto ketamine. That's what I know probably the most about. Um, ketamine, very interesting. So uh, 1962 was developed as an anesthetic, and it was de- developed for the uh, for the military uh, to kind of replace uh, PCP um, in the war, in the Vietnam era war, and you know for an anesthetic, and worked really well for that. Um, during that time, um, I think it was noted that it did have some psychedelic properties at higher dosages, and um, and Spravato was developed in 2019. Uh, Spravato is a kind of commercialized uh, brand name for ketamine, esketamine, um, and it is a nasal spray um, used uh, for psychedelic integrated therapy. So. It was developed and approved by the FDA for ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, and that's what it's used for. So it works on the NMDA receptors on the glutamate system. So this was, makes it quite a bit different than the rest of them that we've talked about. The glutamate system is separate from the, from the serotonin system. It doesn't have the same um, uptake of serotonin, whereas we may be finding, as we do more research, we may find that there is some of that. And I truly believe that there is maybe an uptick um, of activity on the endocannabinoid system also um, when ingesting ketamine. So there's a lot that can be done that does have a psychedelic experience, but you are sedated, meaning you, where you feel connected to the world on psilocybin and LSD. You want to roam and touch things and smell flowers. Well, ketamine wants you to stay quite still. Um, otherwise, you might get quite sick. So for us in our, in our clinic, we have people sitting in chairs with eye masks on and headphones, um, again, it's all about set and setting where there's, you know, beautiful scenery and comfort and the music is ambient and it's, it's, it's definitely about the setting. Ketamine, as it became legalized um, for, for therapeutic use, and we're doing it in an off-label fashion, meaning we're not doing it the nasal spray. We're using um, inter- IVs. We're doing infusions. And we're doing intermuscular, and we're using these oral oral trochees or lozenges, uh, primarily for the sessions because we find that it works really well. It's pretty easily presentable. There's less anxiety when you're putting it just in your mouth rather than a, a needle. And maybe I'll put a link down below. Uh, we did a, a case study on why needle-free ketamine. Why? why you know, what's the difference? So maybe I'll put that link down in the in the show notes. I get a write myself a note here to remember to do that. But yeah, put that in the show notes. So um, there is a lot of reasons to uh, try ketamine. And I say try because usually this is not something you do forever. Whereas, you know, if you're on an SSRI, it's forever. Ketamine might be a, uh, a three to four session um, to where you stop seeing symptoms of suicide ideation. We know that within one session, most people will, at least for a week, it'll stop the suicide ideation, which is really great, Um, especially if you're coming in and that's what you're suffering from. Uh, But usually three to four sessions is where we see the magic, and then usually the fifth and sixth session are self-exploratory, and they're still maybe working. I have done lots and lots of sessions, and I still like the self-exploration. So you, you may find that self-exploration is the reason why you continue to do it, to stay connected to the universe, to stay on top of inspired action, to draw things into your life that you're looking for answers on. There's literally hundreds of studies going on in all these psychedelics. And I think ketamine right now is not um, as studied 
Um, so I'm trying to do my own studies, and that's why I created the ketamine breath work, um, which has a little bit to do. I'll just kind of share parts of the of the the theory on the protocol is that we're trying to create a sympathetic dominance so that the body can um, inhibit digestion, making the medicine more bioavailable, meaning a little hypoxia breath, a little faster breath, medicine becomes more available, and then we move into a parasympathetic dominance so you feel relaxed and calm. There's intention setting that happens before all of this is going on. There's meditations during that support the intention, and then there's integration at the end. And we're seeing very positive results and still looking to do a lot more studies. That's why we did the case study um, so that we could maybe hopefully apply for grants um, where we can see more with MRIs and even doing more with um, just testing the blood suspension and just seeing kind of what's happening chemically um, as we utilize this chemical of ketamine. It is, we're noticing a lot of changes in people's personalities, meaning where they were quite depressed or anxious, um, where they were withdrawn, maybe even finding that they were self-diagnosing themselves as treatment resistant to dep- with depression, where they're becoming more social, more less anxious, uh, where they're those who are even coming in for pain, neurological pain disorders like, like chronic pain are noticing that ketamine is helping with that. Um, we're, we're just seeing a lot of great results that can happen immediately. Happening Im- immediately is, is really what's bonus, uh, a bonus about ketamine is because, you know, you can get, put someone on an SSRI and it may take months for them to come out of their suicide ideation. Well, that, usually you don't have that amount of time, right? You, you, you need to get right on it. <laughs> you need to get right on it. And ketamine works immediately. It is a disassociative, meaning you're going to travel away from your body, at least in a, in a way of perception and the, the perception of what realm you're in, move away from the personality and disrupt patterns. So the way we do this through the breath work is by um, moving us away from the prefrontal cortex thought patterns as it relates to this uptick of adrenaline and so forth with the breath. Because the sympathetic dominance kind of takes us into our prefrontal cortex saying, I'm in a fight or flight mode. What now? What did we do last time? Do that again. And what we want to do is disrupt that pattern and move more into the limbic side of the brain. And we're moving maybe into seeing more activity in the limbic mind for the fear response and in the hypothalamus, hippocampus, and seeing more activity there that is leading us more into the emotional side. Again, Dr. Joe uh, talks a lot about this in his heart coherence talks, but we're seeing a lot of that where people are moving more into the emotional side of their being rather than thinking so hard. Again, we need lots more studies done. We need a lot more research, but we know that it's helping people to be able to live normal lives and to move beyond their self-diagnoses or maybe their diagnoses from their, their, their therapist or their doctor. We pair this with psychotherapy sometimes. Uh, we pair this, you know, with in, in, in St. George here with floating ahead of time to get into parasympathetic dominance. We are pairing this with meditations and being outside. The ceremonies that I lead, um, we do them in um, safe settings in these big, uh, big bell tents and kind of creating ceremony around this newer psychedelic, but 
utilizing the knowledge we know from from indigenous peoples and natives peoples that ceremony is really kind of the magic now we do one-on-ones too i mean people may want their own privacy or we do work with with couples but ketamine we're noticing is not the most popular psychedelic but it is the only one that's currently legal everywhere and that's why we're utilizing this as um, as our tool in our clinic so is ketamine right for you? Well, you would need to call and do a consultation to see if it is. Um, the way you can find doctors all around you, but it is licensed by state. So you'd have to see someone in the state in which you reside or travel to one of my retreats or to come to Utah for you know, a couple of days to be able to experience it here in Utah. Um, and we could guide you on how to do that. There's a lot of great, uh, I saw a lot of great YouTubers out there. Um, what is it? Sky... Sky Cowan's had a really good one, and I was really I reached out to her, telling her she needs to come try our breath work because her um, video was great. It was a really great um, uh, documentation of her journey, and I was just really stoked to to hear about it. So if that's something you're interested in. I want to tell you about. It. I'm going to link to the needle free down below and why. But let's talk about and finish this today's session up about having a good guide and what we really feel like having a good guide means. Well, first of all. I would be weary of anybody who walks around calling themselves a shaman. I just, I, I, I think that that title gets thrown around too easily. And for most, it needs to be passed down by an elder to an elder to an elder or whatever. You know, I don't think that it's something you can just take a course online and call yourself a shaman. I don't believe that. And, you know, being a, a psychedelic guide or a trip sitter, therapist, those are all great titles. But I would say be weary of whatever someone's using a title, um, rather than um, just saying what they're offering. For me, I'm director of ketamine breathwork, and that's what I do. <laughs> you know, it, uh, there's, there's ceremonies that happen around some of the other stuff we do, but I, I don't label myself as a healer. So be wary about that. I would also say look into the clinic itself. What makes a good guide is the clinic they work in. If it is a stark white place in a hospital, turn and run as fast as you can. I mean, those are great if you're there for B-Med and you're, you're, you know, it's a last result, you're being admitted, do that. But if you're looking for long-term relationships and people to support you through your process, you want to go somewhere where that feels safe, it feels like ease, it feels like a place you'd want to hang out and relax afterward, where you feel safe and taken care of. You can go into them before doing a consultation, check out their facility, look around, sit in the chair, talk to the therapist. Ask them what their methods are. That's how I would. That's how I would do it. Finding a good guide is just see if you can connect with them on that level. I would also say with that good guide, someone that may challenge your belief systems is really a good thing. Many people come to me with their stories, and then they want me to recognize their old stories, <clears throat> which I can hear them, but I'm there to help them rewrite a new story. I'm not there to help them tell that old story over and over again and hope that something changes. I'm there to help them rewrite their story and get away from who they thought they were to who they're becoming. So someone who actually challenges you might be actually a really good thing and saying, okay, I, I know that you're not going to you know, let me just do my thing. Also, the innovation, I think, is an important thing in a, in a good guide. Now, this is me tooting my own horn here, but like someone who's kind of progressing and saying, this is what we're doing, and this is our next step, and we're, you know, we're doing this thing with groups, and look what we're doing with breathwork, and you know, maybe I'm giving away too much here, but, but finding a good guide is really about finding someone who's saying, I realize these medicines are really, really old, but we're creating a space that is different. 
that we're challenging that norm, not in a way to create, you know, glitter or trinkets to our, our, our modality, but one that says we're going to make it better, like including integration. I guess that would be my next thing, my next, my third item for hunting a good guide is make sure they offer integration. If they don't offer integration, basically they're going to lead you through a, a psychedelic setting, say go ahead and go home, and you're going to say now what? What, what, what can I do now? I don't know. And if they don't offer integration, I would highly recommend that you look for someone else. And finally, the, the final piece to finding a good guide is someone who does their own work. Um, if, if someone is offering you ketamine or psilocybin, MDMA, and they've never experienced it themselves, then they really are only very clinical and by the books and really probably are not going to be able to offer you much insight, especially as it relates to comparing the different chemicals. So find someone who has experienced maybe all of them, many of them, and has a good resource for you on other um, chemicals. And one that I'm not as experienced with is the abone, the abogaine. Not as experienced with it, but I do know people who facilitate that and I trust and I could guide you in that right direction. So just someone who says, yeah, I understand this because right now we're kind of working and we're playing with the we're playing with the government a little bit, what's legal and what's not. And obviously I'm not going to lead you to go, you know, get DMT from, you know, the guy around the corner. It's not legal. So we have to work and play within the structures which we've been given. However, there are we'll call them loopholes, ways around um getting you therapy that could be just as effective and still stay within legal structure and protect you and also create a good setting for you uh, so that you could experience it and finish a therapy, maybe saving your life. Hopefully this information was helpful to you today. I definitely plan on exploring these chemicals a little bit more in depth in another episode. If it's something you're interested in, maybe I'll bring some experts on on each one of them. We can talk about each one of them individually. Um, if it's something you're interested in hearing more about, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. You can always send me a message at Ryan Bean Yoga on Instagram, or you can um, respond. Our podcast currently doesn't have ads. I've been asked for ads a few times, and currently we don't. Um, we support this by our patron group. So if you're interested, um, you can go to patron.podbean.com and backslash live as an observer. And there are ketamine breathwork recordings on there. So if you're interested and with your session, it's at the $9 level, you can get the clinician level and experience those. So if you're a clinician, a therapist, and you want to offer ketamine, but you don't know how to offer guidance with breathwork and ketamine, I have recordings for you. You can use them. And I keep adding them. I also have a lot of other stuff on there. It starts as low as $2 a month. And as much as you find there's value, um, I would really appreciate that. It helps me to be able to travel, get guests on the show and so forth. Um, but yeah, I definitely plan exploring more in this realm with breath work and with different psychedelics um, this year. Um, thanks for a good couple of years. We've, we're, we've been going strong now. This is episode, I think, what are we on? 51 here. Maybe it's 52. I got to look. But we're definitely doing really well with having... Um, at least um, every every couple of weeks, we've had a couple episodes, and uh, hopefully, to am- plan to amplify that as you know I have support financially and those guests who want to chat with me. Um, 
So thanks for joining today. If you haven't yet, um, I was just on a podcast the other day with the Seven Elements of Wellness. I would love for you to listen to that. Go check them out. They're a great friend of the of the family here, Seven Elements of Wellness. And I did a, a, a podcast with them relating to breath work and to cold exposure and some, some other things. But it was a great episode. It's their latest one that just came out. And you can support our friends at Seven Elements of Wellness and hear a little bit from me. So thank you for joining today, friends. I hope hearing from you very very soon see you in the next episode friends